The Vancouver School of Theology is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Welcome to Bruderholtz, the podcast of the Vancouver School of Theology, a chance to speak with faculty and other people about VST and their experiences there. And uh, uh, my name's Todd Weeb, and I'm here to introduce Richard Topping. Uh, Richard is principal of VST and will introduce uh, today's guest for us. Thanks very much, Todd. It's a pleasure to introduce today uh, the Reverend Dr. Ray Aldred. Ray is, uh, at the very least, a couple of very important uh, offices at the Vancouver School of Theology. He is the director of our Indigenous Studies program, and he is the acting dean of the school. Uh, Ray is also a theologian and teaches in that area at the school, too, and we're really glad to, to welcome Ray today. Ray, we wanted to begin with a question uh, today. H how long have you taught uh, not just at VST, but how long have you taught, and, and why do you do it? Actually, uh, the first time I taught in the church, I was teaching primary boys Sunday school when I was 19 years old, and I have done some kind of teaching since then. Now, I began teaching theology oh, as an adjunct in Regina, probably somewhere around I think 1994 mm. and then started teaching in a variety of fashion, but full-time theology, 1995, I think, no, nine, no, 2000 and 2000. The, well, you mentioned being 19 years old, teaching Sunday school. Um, a couple questions there. What kind of church was it denominationally? And I would assume that from that point on, or even before, from 19 and on, there were people within the church who were saying, you should keep doing this. You should keep teaching. Well, I wasn't, it wasn't the boys I was teaching. I'm pretty sure they weren't saying it. No. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of denominational background was the church? Uh, that was a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Uh -huh. Who came, you know, the Christian Missionary Alliance came out of the Presbyterian church Hey, so I go to an, a Presbyterian church in Richmond, which sort of doesn't feel that much different, right. really, at times. But uh, no, that was, you know, they, they re really, the reason I got started doing my doctorate now, in 1991, I started working, I was the minister in a church, First Nations Alliance Church of Regina. And then... Uh, I, that was I was almost done my undergrad degree, which is also in theology, and then I finished a master's degree in two thousand, my MDiv, and the community really that's when they asked me, they told me that I was good at this, I should think about doing a a doctorate. So I began in two thousand four to work part time at a at a doctorate. And then it was in the process of doing that doctorate that I was asked by uh, Ambrose mm -hmm. Seminary, uh, Ambrose University in uh, Calgary to apply for the, there was a theology position open. So, But I really pursued the doctorate because the community said, you're good at this, you should do this. So 
Okay. And That's you kind of why. So and and it must have been true from both sides that the community was saying you're good at this, you should do this. But it was also something I assume that you liked to do and still like to do. So it was something that oh, yeah. that kind of dual pursuit. When I when I was a boy, I used to dream of uh actually I used to sit and dream that I would I tried to I remember when I was about 8 9 years old, I remember thinking trying to think thoughts no one else had ever thought that's what i wanted to do that's what i wanted to do so that's, that's really good so so ray you're teaching well, what's a good class for you so you have a class at vst and you're teaching a class and you're finished and you say boy that was a good class why why would it be good i think it's good if people reach their conclusions without very little without me saying a very a lot if we can set up the approach to the class and because of what I was assigned for reading and because of the way that we approach the class. I, I usually do gospel-based discipleship at the beginning of the class. And because of that, and the, because we the way we've set up the class as an intersection, we're trying to hold together Christianity, Christian faith and indigenous identity and because we've set that up people begin to make the connections in their mind and go to places that you want to you think that people need to go and that that all happens without me having to say a lot i think that's a good class at least at this point when i was younger i felt the need to talk all the time i guess but as i get older the less of my voice that's in it, the better that would be, I think. What do you think is interesting students right now about Indigenous studies? Why would various students be attracted to that? Well, at first, you know, I think most people are attracted because it's exotic. Mm. You know, it's, it's, and be, but because of that, I think because it's different. And because Indigenous folk think about things in a different pattern, a different way, but it's familiar enough that there's a space between it that hmm. is a, something collaborative can occur. I think also because people in Canada, at least, I think they understand that some stuff really didn't... Hmm some bad things happened in the past and i think people are trying to take responsibility for that and to try to make some changes i like to think that because canada has told the truth at times and it began with the church telling the truth apologizing but it didn't begin with that. It began with indigenous people telling the truth of mm -hmm. what really happened. And I think that one of the good things that have happened is that people actually listen. And that's one of the things that Vancouver School of Theology has provided a place where that can happen so that people can tell the truth and really listen and then come up with a shared plan about how we're going to fix that. In fact, the Indigenous Studies program is really the result of people telling the truth and Vancouver School of Theology listening and also wanting to understand and 
and embody the truth so that the indigenous studies program is really a response to indigenous people asking for theological education so so how does what you're doing matter to the church and the world just now well history will judge if what i did <laughs> mattered to the church <laughs> i was uh i can't there's a you know when i was interviewing for the theology position in ambrose my a friend of mine who was already on faculty he, he and i went for a little walk I, they gave us a break about halfway through the interview and he said to me you got to stop doing that self-deprecating stuff <laughs> but it was hard for me because you know as an indigenous person it, it is tough for me to say that what i do matters but if i had to i would say that there's it's my calling mm -hmm. I had a deeply moving religious experience when I was 19 years old. And part of it was I sensed that I was called to teach and to teach the word. And, uh, and so then it feels like that's what I'm doing when I teach. And then, and then the church has asked for theological education at different points in my life. I've sat with indigenous people, indigenous clergy, people who are working in indigenous communities. And I just asked them, I said, what, what do you, what kind of training would be most helpful? And they've told me, and, and one of them is always, you know, basic theological education. Mm -hmm. And so it's what the indigenous churches asked for. So that's kind of, mm -hmm. I think that matters because of that. And then, I think it's handing on the story of the community. What we're doing is like uh, our speaker there, Richard, at commencement, when we could have a commencement a few <laughs> years back. Remember, he said the job of a theologian and a professor is really to teach the church how to speak as a Christian. Mm -hmm. yes. Dr. And Howard. so we're, we're, yeah, we're Stanley Hauerwas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, it's the language of the community. The gospel is the language of the community. And mm -hmm. so I think it matters because we're helping to hand that story on. That's what we're doing. I mean, we teach so that other people can teach. That's, that's also one of the things that I think is a good class is I don't just teach information so people can pass a test. Although I do tell them, okay, this will be on yeah. the test. You know, this yeah. is the right answer. Here's how to when you go in, yeah. when you go in front of the ordination <laughs> committee, this is the right answer. Yeah. Here's some other possible answers, yeah. but this is the right one. No, I don't do that. Well, maybe I do, but uh, no, it's also just you teach so that they can, they can teach, they can teach. That's kind of what we do. I think that's what we do. I hope that's what we do. And that matters. That matters. I like the, your, your response in terms of what it is that matters. Richard, I would kind of being the principal um, and theological institutions, most or many not having this, a similar department. Um, how would you answer that question? What, what matters about having this department, the indigenous studies at VST? Well, I, I always um, leave myself open to correction. Ray, Ray can correct me if, if he sees it. But the way I don't really see it as a department. 
Um, and if by Program, one yeah. of the things we're trying to avoid is, uh, no, no, I'm glad you asked the question that way because it helps us get at, you know, what's going on, is that with indigenous studies, our hope is that every single one of our students uh, is, is a part of indigenous studies, is learning the history of the, the church in North America, learning about truth and reconciliation, learning to think about a different future than the past with, with the indigenous church. So it's more, I always like to think of it as sort of DNA. It's wrapped in, it's essential to what it is we're doing. And we're, we're you know, we're not all the way there. We continue to learn and uh, we, it's like a conversation, uh, uh, like Ray was saying, um, where you become more self-aware, uh, where you become aware that, you know, things still need to change and you don't be satisfied. I mean, the Indigenous Studies program has been running for 35 years and there's still lots to learn. Um, but I think the secret, but both with interreligious and with Indigenous, is that we consider these ingredient aspects of a theological education. If you're going to serve in the context of the Canadian church these days, these are pressing uh, and important matters for our students to know about. I like the way you put that. I actually wasn't, <laughs> when you were asking a question, I wasn't thinking indigenous. I was just thinking doing theology. Like, <laughs> like because, yeah. I mean, that's, in the past, I think that's one of the weaknesses of people's understanding about indigenous, any any kind of, whenever you added a word to theology. So right. That, the idea was that the, well, there was this what dead Germans did was theology, but but what everyone else did was you know something else right. and not essential. There was always a sort of contingent. It was sort of a you didn't have to have it. So I just I like the way that we're doing things at VST. I think we're trying to move past that, although. The, in people's minds, especially dominant society folks, they're always going to think that anything that comes from folks who are not uh, the same as them or who are more in what some would describe as marginal group are going to, it's a pejorative term, so then they approach it because it's exotic, but not because they think they actually need to understand right. this, to understand themselves. And I think we're trying not to be like that. So, Ray, I mean, you're, uh, I'm looking at some questions we thought about. One is that, you know, what's unique about the way VST works? I mean, you've worked in more than one institution where you have been um, a professor of theology. And what's, what's different about VST? Well, one of the things we've already alluded to, for many institutions, uh, Indigenous studies is sort of an add-on. Mm. Oh yeah, and we do we do theology. Oh yeah, and we do indigenous <laughs> theology. Uh, we don't we don't do that at VST. At least I never sensed. I always thought that what we were doing with the indigenous studies program, and the reason it has some autonomy is because to replicate the self determination that is intricate that is an intricate part of indigenous identity in Canada that if there is any kind of self-determination among the indigenous studies program it's because of that not because vst is wanting to create some siloed thing yeah. you know so that that's unique i think that's unique that's what i was picking up as you both were speaking was that it strikes me and then from my familiarity with the school it strikes me that 
you know, not only this, but, but nothing is really siloed. Yeah. Richard, you use the language that it's kind of part of, part of the DNA. Yeah. And it's, uh, our program was voted the best program in BC by Hubert Barton and I. Hubert <laughs> Barton and I said, hey, if you had a vote, would you vote our program the best program in British Columbia? Well, said, let me pass along I, my congratulations. And, and we said we would. So we voted, you know, our program is voted well, number one in the province of British Columbia. And if I, I would have been there, Ray, you would have got three votes for it. So then, uh, no. And the second thing, so someone, I actually was on a podcast the other day and someone asked me these things. What was different? Number one, I wasn't being asked to be a theologian and in the, and on the side, I could uh, teach indigenous studies. That's what I was doing in other places. Other places I would teach theology because I could teach theology to everybody and I do, but I was teaching theology. And then on this, and I would get a paycheck for doing that so I could do what I really wanted to do in the indigenous studies on the side. Mm -hmm. But uh, Vancouver School of Theology, I, my, to, to, to use the words from Robert Frost, my, my vocation has become my avocation and it's wonderful. So I don't have, I'm not, I don't feel divided, split in half, you know, anymore. And then uh, the second thing is there's, there's money. Vancouver School of Theology raises funds so that I have a fully funded program. I don't, I'm not, you know, the University of, for example, their Indigenous Studies, their Indigenous Center, they had to raise that money outside of the university. They raised it primarily from, I'm guessing, oil industry. There was no dollars came from the university for that. They had to raise that themselves to establish that. Vancouver School of Theology. And then that was the same in many other programs. You'd ha I'd have to raise funds on my own to do Indigenous studies. There's money we've raised. Richard, you'd probably know the number. I think we've raised close to $750,000 to do Indigenous studies the last, since I came. To I think it's over a million dollars, Ray. Yeah, well, I didn't. There you go. Over a million dollars. <laughs> so that means people and, uh, are seeing the value in it. So that so then it, I'm not, I'm empowered to do it. I have funds to do it. And the, the third thing is I don't have to apologize all the time or explain what I'm doing. I am a trusted, I am trusted that I know what is best for the program, that we have an advisory board of indigenous elders, indigenous people from different indigenous ministries and Vancouver School of Theology trusts us to set the course for this program. And we, it, we, don't, we don't constantly have to explain why right. we're, why we're doing this uh, in some Christian organizations in Canada in the past, and even it continues in the present. Indigenous people continually have to explain why the, why they could do ex, use their culture in the church or in a mm -hmm. Christian setting. I don't have to do that in the Vancouver School of Theology. So I appreciate that. So there's a great freedom to do the things that I want to do. And that's, that's fantastic kind of unique i think in canada and maybe the world i don't know if you're 
talking as well about how, well, that, you know, to see that people are valuing this is a testimony to you, right, to the school and to the students, right, to the students who are, who are participating in these programs because people see, like, what's happening here. But as you described the, the uh, Indigenous Studies at VST, it comes to my mind as obvious that you have people who are taking courses in Indigenous Studies uh, who are Indigenous themselves and then people who are not. So how have you, like, so you're, Ray, you're kind of teaching um, across that board. How have you seen the, the, those courses in your teaching be a benefit to somebody coming from an Indigenous background and somebody who's not? How have you seen them kind of respond? Uh, indigenous. Well, I think that self-determination. So then uh, really beginning, it did really you know, in Canada until maybe the early 1960s, but it really didn't take off till the 1970s. Indigenous people, you know, they didn't get the vote until 1960 in Canada. And then they were prohibited by law of either raising money to take the government to court or of taking the government to court. So it really wasn't until the 1970s till self-determination really began to take off in Canada. And so I think that as that's developed, you know, we, especially in the last, since the 2000, since 2000, there's been a growing indigenous people themselves are embracing their vision to do research and to do theological studies. I think prior to that, you were always trying to think in terms of, will it be okay with the West if we do this? And then really in the 2000s is when uh, Indigenous people, and it, it was because of programs like this that Indigenous people said, well, you know what, I really don't care. I'm just going to, we're yeah. going to do this to further Indigenous vision. So we're just going to we're going to be who we believe we're created to be. And so that's kind of one of the things that have happened because of this program. And so indigenous students who come, uh, particularly when they come from other countries, now this is the, because we have different people coming and I've had people from other countries who are indigenous because we could put words to it. It's not that similar things weren't happening in other countries, but nobody was valuing it and putting words to it, giving words to it so that it could have significance or it could be, uh, you could teach it in that way. So that's the thing that's happening in indigenous students. So then there's a greater level of empowerment within the church so that in some places they begin to do things to further their own, the indigenous church in their own community, either through language developing resources as indigenous people so so that's one of the things we also through the teaching house that moves around we we're teaching some uh, resources for handling tra trauma in indigenous communities we were working on helping develop some uh, uh, courses or some a way to prepare people for ordination within different denominations that was were aimed at indigenous people non-indigenous people i think 
one of the cool things that can happen is you can hear the gospel again. Leslie Newbigin said, you know, the problem with the West is that they have a scientific worldview that they use to evaluate the gospel. And they cannot shift to have the gospel evaluate their scientific worldview unless they hear the gospel told back to them from another culture. I think indigenous people provide that. Most of the people, indigenous people who come, for example, to our summer school, they talk about Jesus and they sing about Jesus and they, they've had this deeply moving experience with Jesus and that's why they want to study theology and that's why they're part of the church. Sometimes in the West, we forget that. We forget that because, I don't know, maybe there's more. I don't know why we forget, but we do. So we can hear that voice again. And maybe that's a call to conversion. Maybe. That's what Newbigin said anyway. So. so, Ray, you've talked a bit about uh, the opportunities at VST, the kind of unique relationship that VST has had with uh, the Indigenous Church. What's the biggest challenge you face as a professor um, and as, as the director of the Indigenous Studies uh, program at VST? <laughs> I always like when the principal asks this question. <laughs> yeah. uh, the biggest challenge is, uh, the biggest challenge is that because, because of Vancouver School of Theology and and it's not just the Vancouver School of Theology because we work, work closely with certain, you know, different denominations. And mm-hmm. on an institutional level, powers and principalities will act like that at times. And so, uh, and anytime, anytime you have a partnership that's between two, like Indigenous and non-Indigenous, the one with the most resources and the most political clout will always be tempted to take it over they they're always will so that's always a challenge that's that's part of the systemic racism in canada that sometimes comes in i think we do a pretty good job of managing but that's that's one of the biggest challenges particularly when you have certain people involved in the program who you know just believe it's their god-given right to speak up and say whatever the hell they think they should say and and then they don't want to buy so vine delorius says if you're going to have a indigenous philosophy then you need to embrace indigenous boundaries so one of the biggest challenges that that non-indigenous folk and institutions want to override those indigenous boundaries because they they don't think they're necessary you know, so that's the biggest challenge. And then I think we manage it pretty well. And then uh, the other one is that Indigenous folks, uh, Vine Delore says you need to embrace Indigenous communal identities. And that's the biggest challenge for students who are new at Vancouver School of Theology. They don't understand how that works. Mm-hmm. So I took a course in community development by uh, from World Vision one time. And uh, one of the marks of paternalism there's kind of is that you look at another situation and you evaluate what needs to be fixed 
and then you set out to fix it with your resources and then you evaluate whether or not your plan to fix it was successful that's paternalism and sometimes sometimes well-meaning people come to try to fix us mm -hmm. indigenous people mm -hmm. and uh, that's the biggest challenge mm -hmm. in canada i think most people in canada at this point are particularly christian people i think part of it's because you you know it flows out of you think you're being compassionate but some a lot of times they're paternalistic at best because they look at indigenous people as a problem to be solved. And when you look at another group of people as a problem to be solved, probably you're paternalistic at best. And paternalism and racism are on the same continuum. They're on the same continuum. And so that's kind of the biggest challenge that I face. But we can fix it. So what we do is we... Uh, well, sometimes you just confront it. And I am encouraged with people because, you know, a lot of times if you explain to people what's going on, then they, they shift and they change. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I can do the same thing because I'm sure I've done stranger things in my life. You mentioned one of the things, um, well, and even as you answer that question about the challenges, uh, you point to challenges that are uh, bigger than just at, at VST or at any educational institution, challenges that are cultural and part of society. And um, I, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about VST is the the engagement in the community. And we see that on like levels with congregations and then just in the community as a whole. You mentioned uh, briefly something that I haven't heard of, so that's why I was going to ask this, um, the teaching house. And you say we move around with the teaching house and courses. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that, what that is and where you go, what you do? Okay, this was a... So in many Indigenous communities or traditions, when you wanted to learn, you went and you lived with the elders and you learned from them in maybe the elders' house. And so uh, we got the idea to have a teaching house and where we would we'd pull together three things theological education indigenous identity and the need for some kind of spiritual healing because we were dealing we're currently dealing with a there's a fair bit of trauma in indigenous communities uh, art Holmes, who wrote a book called the grieving indian said that probably 80% of, now he, this is kind of dated. He wrote this book back in the eighties or late eighties or nineties. And he said, probably 90% of indigenous people in Canada, the United States, 80%, 80% of indigenous people in Canada, the United States have had to deal with traumatic death in their lives, you know, losing someone right. because of suicide, murder, car accident, drowning, you know, premature death, traumatic death. And because of that, and because one of the ramifications of the residential school that happened in Canada is we never were uh, allowed to, we never learned, had the emotional resources to help heal. So then that's tended to impact 
all of uh, of indigenous identity. So then, because we were dealing with this, this was a thing we needed to deal with. It's not. <clears throat> Again, it's not like I didn't, I don't want to come off like this is, oh, we got to fix these guys. No, this was just something that we needed some resources to help communities deal with this. But we didn't assume that. What we did was we, we, we just wrote up a proposal and we got a grant and we would go into an Indigenous community and we just talk with the people and said, hey, you know, what would be the most helpful thing for us to do? We have some resources. If you think it would be helpful, we could set up a teaching what would what would you think would be helpful so most of the communities came up with two things one they wanted resources to deal with trauma so one we call one one of the things we did in a fair number of communities called ministry in the midst of trauma and the second thing that many people wanted to do was how do we bring together our indigenous stories mm -hmm. and Christian faith. So we taught one in a few places called in the Jesus was an Indian in one place we called it. Although mm -hmm. you're not allowed to say Indian, but I could say Indian. So Jesus was indigenous. Yeah. So <laughs> what we would do would we go into a community and we just good community uh, development. We just talk with them and say what because we don't want to teach things. We don't want to bring teaching that no one really is interested. And then we would come into the community we do a teaching over three, four, five days. And then we would follow up to see how they were doing with it. We tended to partner with existing churches or organizations so that we were coming alongside what they were already doing so that it would continue. So that's what we did. That's we great. called it the teaching house. And I continue to do different kinds of things like that. So, so good. Now, COVID sort of put the kibosh yeah. on that thing, but we're hoping to, yeah. we were going to do some online stuff, but then even that was, you know, most communities, especially on the West Coast, they were prohibited in their communities from uh, meeting together. Oh, from but gathering. I just heard in Saskatchewan that they're allowed to meet again. So our idea was to use Zoom or some other online technology we would empower some local individual in those communities to set the teaching up. And then we also ask who would be the best teacher. I mean, it doesn't have to be us. If they think there's another person who's gives the best teaching on this thing that they're interested in, we contact that person and help them deliver. So, so great. One of the, one of the great, one of the very good things about VST is that kind of engagement. And as you outline this, um, you can see how that connects to some of the challenges and, and opportunities historically. And then that note you mentioned of healing, uh, just engaging in the community and healing, just to know that VST is, is doing that. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Right. The thing that occurs to me in the midst of all of this, so um, in, in the work that you're doing is, I mean, the question that I've, I want to ask you is, what makes you hopeful in the midst of that? Um, you know, this is a thoroughgoing on the ground, you know, getting traction in real people's lives up close and personal. But what, what makes you, you hopeful in the midst of this kind of ministry? There was a couple things what makes me hopeful. I, I was going to say like a good theologian, there's three things. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, first of all, I know it's going to sound goofy, and it re- it it sort of reveals my holiness. Sort of, I attended a holiness church and was ordained in a holiness church. I am encouraged because we don't know everything. The parousia, the second coming of Christ, means that we know in part. And we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so then I always think the good news is, you know, creator wins in the end. So I am hopeful. I have, I have, I also learned that when I was, I was hanging out with some folks who were, you know, working close to the street. I have never done street ministry, but I used to get the odd street person who was part of the fellowship and uh and uh, i remember talking to a, a a minister out of edmonton alberta and he said uh he said i have high hopes low expectations so that's kind of where i live i have high hopes <laughs> yeah. low expectations but i have high hopes because of the gospel how can you not yeah. be hopeful mm-hmm. the second thing that i gives me hope is uh grandchildren and Mm. like younger kids who seem to be the next generations you know the ones that are growing up in school don't seem to be ashamed of of having indigenous identity i think that's one that's how i judge that i think we're doing something right in canada that that there's indigenous children who stand up for for who they are and embrace it and yes they take some heat but in general i think that you can be proud of who you are that gives me hope it gives me hope Uh, also i remember when i was struggling with my studies i used to go to sleep at night and remember that my granddaughter didn't care she didn't care if i had a phd or didn't she it wouldn't matter to her at all so so I just, the children, they give me hope. They give me hope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I have hope because, uh, I mean, I have hope because it seems to me that in Canada, the church and even Canada as a society is pressing towards reconciliation, that that word has still has some some meaning and people are trying to figure it out even in the midst of the pandemic it you know it's not been muted and when different provinces roll out their their uh their uh, plan for vaccination for example Mm -hmm. they they have they they think about indigenous people that that's part of how they think in terms of things and so how can you not be hopeful in the midst of that gives me hope so there there's three things amen how can you not be hopeful and as we uh, draw our time to a close uh first off just thank you so much for for joining us and and speaking it's so good to to speak with you and and to be encouraged by you uh i note a couple of things as as we close a little bit related to your last uh response on hope um your reminder that we can all hear the gospel again and that it's part of um, uh, living and working and worshiping together, uh, praying together. And uh, the way that you speak that, we know that uh, 
that that's a gift that you get to participate in. And uh, the other is that positive mention, even of a difficult thing, the need for healing. And what a blessing that VST gets to be a part of that. And uh, I can say even from a distance a little bit that it indeed is a part of that. And uh, Ray, your your work and your leadership uh, goes a long way in that. And so thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Ray. You're welcome. Take care. Bruder Holtz is a production of the Vancouver School of Theology. For more information about VST, visit vst.edu. Thanks for listening to Bruder Holtz.